Hello and welcome. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and this is How You Level Up, a podcast where I ask questions to help you become your best self. In today's episode, we're going to listen to an old recording from my book, Sharing Treasure. This was originally published in 2018. It's available on Amazon, and it's broken up into a number of different sections. So definitely check out the title to make sure you're listening in chronological order. And please enjoy this section of the book, which is part one, failure. Destruction. Treasure covered in blood. I hurt a lot of people too failed big time in my relationships. During my teenage years, emotional pains were handed out like candies on a Halloween night. They were handed out by me and to me. There were times during my childhood when I hurt people emotionally, like when I saw a saxophone hidden behind a brush while at an after-school program in the third grade. The black container sat in the dirt, nestled between a bush and the outside wall of the local elementary school, It looked discarded and unwanted. A few of us were playing together and wanted to explore this new box we stumbled upon. A friend of mine opened it up, and inside was a rustic-looking saxophone. I knew what it was because my brother played one, so I picked it up and showed everyone how much I knew. I knew nothing, but we could take it apart and look at the pieces that made it whole. Taking stuff apart was something I knew and was good at. I surveyed the area, No adults. I took note of the sacks, but was not sure how to take it apart. And I was also a little demon. (laughs) There was a brick wall. I twisted my arms and torso away from the wall, sacks in hand like a baseball bat, and wildly swung at the brick wall in front of me. Pieces burst off of the instrument whizzing past my accomplices, if they could even be called that. I got three or four big swings in before I heard an adult ask, What's going on back there? Fear crept into my mind. This was probably not a good idea. I dropped the sacks into the dirt and dashed out from behind the other side of the bush, completely avoiding the adult. I ran home, which happened to be across the street from my grade school, and I bunkered down until the next day. I believed I was in the clear. When I arrived in the morning, a teacher was waiting for me at my classroom door. I had been ratted out. My parents were called in, and the following nights were long and filled with questions like, Why are you angry? Is there something you want to talk about? Why do you touch an instrument if you know it is not yours? Do you know what the repercussions are? I did not, but I was going to find out. The school deemed me as troubled, and I was forced to see the school psychiatrist regularly. How often? I don't remember. However, I do remember that every time I saw her, she made me feel bad. She questioned the simple actions I made and made me feel like a boy who was not doing normal things. I remember one time she asked me to draw a picture of the ideal family. I was on the spot, so I drew my family. There were four people, decreasing in height, from my dad, my mom, my brother, me, and a cat. To one side of the family was a square house, and on the other side was a tree. The house had windows with a roof, and the tree had a black hole in the middle of it. The hole was for squirrels and owls to sleep in, but the psychiatrist did not like that. It was too dark of a hole. 
There had been another reason the black hole was there. How did it get there? Did someone make it? It looked unnatural to her, and her thought was projecting onto me. My family picture was not right. I was not right. I should have drawn it better. I would hear the teacher and psychiatrist whisper to each other that I needed more sessions, but school time did not allow for it. It was my understanding that I was seeing her because I was bad. Something was wrong with me. I was not good enough to simply attend classes. I had done something wrong and needed to be fixed. The punishment was ongoing and felt everlasting. In my mind, I would always be a failure. One time, the psychiatrist and I were having a meeting, and when I walked into the room, there was a kid sitting there. He looked pissed. Our meetings previously included just the psychiatrist and myself, so this other kid, who was pissed, came as a bit of a shock. The boy turned out to be the owner of the saxophone, an older kid in fifth grade. I stood frozen at her desk, and the boy was staring right through me. She asked me to sit in the chair next to him. His fists were clenched, his lips curled down. Holy shit, I thought to myself, this kid is going to beat me up after school. But it never happened. Instead, he told me his feelings, and why he was so upset about it being destroyed. The saxophone, it turned out, belonged to his grandfather, and his grandfather had passed away. It was his only memento, and I had taken it from him. It could not be repaired, and it was all my fault. It was gone, and there was nothing I could do. I was to blame for his affliction. The blood, metaphorically, was on my hands. I did not fully understand the impact of that meeting until I realized I was quick to pick up on other people's emotions, especially if they were distressed. I had learned a skill from my failure. I could not fix this mistake as much as I wanted to, but maybe I could help others. I studied that kid's face as he told me the story, scared as I was, because he told me what it meant, and he explained why he was mad. His twisted lips and furrowed brow was the canvas of pain, and I knew this pain too, but he gave me the treasure to know what the pain looked like on the outside. He taught me what to look for when identifying someone in pain, the way our faces project those feelings. When our feeling is that severe, there's no hiding it. I have hurt people physically too. There were things that happened when I was a kid, and I needed to defend myself, especially from an older brother. Not that I was abused by my older brother, I simply needed to defend myself. I took that rowdiness with me and had little control over my body. I was nine when I sent my friend Wally to the hospital. There was a pond near the municipal building in my town. It did not used to have as much growth around the edges as it does today, and it wasn't really finished. There was a cement cylinder where the bridge goes over the corner of a pond now, and we crawled into it. I want to say that we were standing in there, but it's more likely that we were crawling or squatting. We would throw rocks from the tunnel into the water and watch the ripples go. Sometimes we would try and skip them, but at the moment we were just making bigger and bigger splashes. 
we would take turns at the front of the cement tube, closer to the water's edge. I would throw a rock, then he would hop in front of me and throw a rock. Each time we threw and retreated behind each other, we scouted for bigger rocks. Our parents were walking around the pond, speaking to each other about adult stuff. They would not understand the task at hand, our mission, to explode the surface of the water and to cheer as the little droplets fell back into themselves. The rocks inside the cylinder were becoming scarce, making us crawl farther and farther from the mouth. We did not have the patience to crawl all the way back to the opening, so some of our throws were nipping the inside of the concrete tunnel before they splashed into the water. The excitement was building, but eventually we would run out of rocks and move on to another adventure. We needed a finale, something big, and I had just found the rock for the job. But my excitement was too much. I needed this rock to splash my way into blissful joy, and it was my friend's turn to throw. It's fine, I said to myself. I can make it over his shoulder, bounce it out of the tunnel, and boom, we'll cheer for the splash. I lugged the rock closer and lifted it onto his shoulder like a shot put. I thrust my arm out, reaching deep for strength to guide the rock, and I completely failed. The rock bounced off the top of the cylinder a foot behind my friend's head and ricocheted directly into the back of my friend's skull. Wally screamed in pain. The tunnel echoed his cries, amplifying them upon exiting our base and spilling out into the world around us. We stumbled out and into the arms of our mothers. His mother was mortified. Now standing in the sunlight, I could see half of his hair was wet and shiny. Red liquid poured down his ear and the back of his neck. She demanded to know what happened, but I could not speak. I could not believe it myself. It was a mistake. I didn't mean to, I said. She was not even listening. My mother tried to reassure her. I'm so sorry. Take him to the hospital. He'll be okay. Kyle didn't mean to hurt him. But how could she have known? We were inside a cement tunnel. She wanted to believe I was one of her little angels. Every mother wants to believe their child is an angel, and Wally's mother wanted to protect her angel too. My mother told me his mother believed I was a bad kid. She asked me, but you're not a bad kid, right? It was like she was looking for validation for sticking up for her angel. I nodded my head in agreement, but the friendship was over. I was not allowed to hang out with Wally again. We rarely spoke after that, even into our teenage years. When I was ten, there was a church where the Cub Scouts would hold their meetings. It was a cool place for a kid. Our meeting spot was in the basement, but there was a big gymnasium upstairs filled with big foam shapes. When the adults would find some other kids and I playing up there, we would run outside into the field and play tag. The Cub Scout meetings were at night, so hiding around the trees and the bushes lining the edge of the field was a solid plan. I was one of the faster kids, so when I was tagged, I would either tag back and bolt or find someone else. I was hiding with my friend's sister, Fiona, behind a bush. To our surprise, even while on the lookout, the kid who was it jumped out from behind us and tapped me. She was already running, and now I was chasing. Fiona ran straight through the field, 
which had recently been littered with sinkholes from rain in the previous days. Or maybe it was just an uneven field. I can't say. I caught up with her in the middle and tapped her shoulder. She took a plunge into the field at the same time. I thought maybe she tripped on one of the sinkholes, and I continued to run. At which point, I heard my name called. I could see in the distance my parents walking off towards a car and motioning for me to come. It was time to leave, so I kept running straight to the car. Later that week in school, I noticed Fiona had a cast on her arm. I did not know if it was from the fall or something else, and I never asked. Later that year, there was an orchestra performance. I was a percussionist and was not needed for every song, so I would stand there with my arms folded for a while, and in between songs where I knew there was a nice time block of no playing for me, I would run around the empty school with some of the other kids playing tag. Looking back, I had trouble playing this simple game. During the game, there was a painful moment gone sour between my friend Robert and me. I cannot recall how it started, but we tussled, and eventually he was mounted on top of me. For those of you who do not know what a mount is, I was on my back, and he was straddling my abdomen. Having an older brother pick on me at home, I knew a super secret move to get someone off of you in a situation like this. I kicked my weight from my feet into my upper back and threw my legs up and around the shoulder areas of Robert. With my legs then pulled up around his shoulders, I threw them down, and the momentum of our bodies tossed him away from me, headfirst into the wall. He shrieked in pain. The empty halls echoed his cries. His mother, and that intuition, was summoning her from the gymnasium where the concert was held to our position in the halls within seconds. The speed of her appearance surprised me. She scolded me. How dare you? How dare you hurt my child? How dare you play rough with him? And then she beamed at my parents, who were now standing there. How dare you let your son be a bad influence on the kids around him? How dare you continue to let him hurt the other kids? He's the one that broke Fiona's arm. Wait, what? I thought to myself, I didn't break her arm, she tripped, and Robert and I were just playing before he got hurt. This isn't my fault, right? But it was too late. I was a bad influence. That is all anyone saw that night. I remember crying in my room later, yelling at myself for hurting another friend. I was in disbelief that I could hurt someone close to me again, though it would not be the last time. Why was I not learning from my failures? How could I rectify my actions? Robert did not speak to me for years after that, and if I were him, I would not have been friends with me either, especially after his mother blew up. It seemed like I was the issue, and maybe I was. There would be follow-up meetings with the psychiatrist about this episode for months to come. I did not want to be seen in this light, but I could not change what happened. I realized my friendships were never in my control. There was a give and take, and it seemed I had taken too much. I wonder what Wally's mother told him about me, how his mind changed about our friendship. Did he trust me? Did he believe I threw that rock at him? Did he think I would hurt him again if we had another playdate? Did Fiona blame me for her broken arm? 
Did she tell others I was the cause? Did Robert think I wanted to hurt him? Did he believe his mother's accusations? They all acted like I was the problem. It made me believe I was too. I needed to be careful with my friends. This was not a treasure that I welcomed because it was handed to me covered in the blood of my friends. I would need to wash this treasure called friendship. I would need to work harder to truly understand how friendship worked if I was ever going to be gifted it again. Thank you for listening to another episode of How You Level Up, where I ask questions to help you become your best self. Now, I put this podcast together because I wanted to help you build up your emotional independence, your communication skills, and take the next step in your personal philosophy. If you liked this episode, turn on your phone and hit the like and subscribe button, give a five-star rating, and I'll see you on the next episode of How You Level Up.